0: Welcome to this week's episode of Zach on Film. Joining me this week, like always, Stephen Schleicher. Hello, Stephen. You know the world is kind of seems to be destroying itself most <laughs> days, so th- I didn't feel like there was any reason for us to go to the theaters and oh, watch man.
1: aliens destroy the world. I, I wish I could find this tweet. Uh, I forget <laughs> who said it. I think it was uh, Michael Nelson. It makes me sad that the new Independence Day is so bad. I don't want it to overshadow the fact that the first one was so wretchedly awful. <laughs>
0: Yeah, so we did not go watch Independence Day. What was it, Resurgence? Is that what it was called? Yeah, Independence or Day, Bugaloo. Or,
1: yeah. Independence Day. Hey, let's tell the same story twice.
0: Hey, Independence Day to the moon.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh so instead we decided to stay home in our comfy living rooms Yeah. and watch a movie that we unfortunately missed in theaters. Thanks, AMC. Uh, yeah, thanks, AMC. Uh, and so we are talking the Cohen Brothers' latest film, Hail Caesar, this mm-hmm. week on Zach On Film.
1: Yeah, so Hail Caesar. Gives us a little slice of life of what it's like to uh, run a Hollywood studio during yes. the time of fifties. Uh, uh, 50s? fifties 50s as, yeah. as we move into the blacklist and everything, because mm-hmm. uh, that blacklist surprisingly plays a big role in in this movie.
0: Yeah, I felt while I was watching this that this is if you have followed along with Zach on film, mm-hmm. this is the culmination of like the entire series because <laughs> right, right. it is like every film we watch. I mean, yeah, yeah. just within the last. You know year mm-hmm. if you uh look at Trumbo and uh, Trumbo mm-hmm. and then Ben Hur mm-hmm. is a big uh, plot through like the kind of yeah. this whole uh, uh hell Caesar mm-hmm. and then you look at like grace Kelly stuff with singing in the rain yep. and I'm trying to think what else um they really kind of tapped into and well any of the westerns we've watched. Mm-hmm. Um are all kind of play oh, into yeah. this into this movie, yeah. which is awesome from it my standpoint.
1: Really, it really turns out that we're looking at kind of a um the Cohen brothers love affair with vintage Hollywood, right? Mm-hmm. So every genre that you can think of, Western, big budget spectacle, musical, as mm-hmm. you're saying, it's all there. And in many cases, uh, the little vignettes are couched so that they can say, hey, let's introduce you to this idea. So, for example, the Channing Tatum character um, is, um, he plays a dancing sailor guy. Right. Um, and so when there's an exchange of this money for, um, for, for the lead actor that they're trying to get back to the studio, our, our hero, uh, our studio head, played by uh, Josh Brolin, has to go to one of the sets and put it behind one of the electrical circuits, and while he's waiting for something to happen, mm-hmm. he watches the filming of this musical number that has Channing Tatum dancing and singing and doing all the things that they that they do about uh, something about seamen
0: sailors going away.
1: Oh yeah, sailors and seamen and <laughs> yeah, sailors yes. and seamen. Um, and so we get that little look, and then it's like, okay, that seems to be just a little throwaway scene until mm-hmm. later you realize that the Channing Tatum character plays a bigger, darker role in in the overall storyline. Yeah. So it's very well done. It's very well crafted. I enjoyed it a lot. I saw this when it first came out on iTunes. So this has been probably about a month or so, I think, uh, when it came out and I really enjoyed all the little bits and pieces that they threw in there. And especially because as you said, we've been doing Zach on film for so long. This really touches on, it's like a refresher course for yeah. everything that you're supposed to supposedly <laughs> learned all these years. So yeah, yeah.
0: I thought it was good. Yeah. So it follows Josh Brolin's character who's headed this, uh, uh, film studio mm-hmm. uh, what was it called Capital Pictures, Capital Pictures yeah. which when I was reading I have not seen the Coen Brothers what is it uh, Barton Fink
1: yeah you've never movie. seen that one. I've never
0: seen that yeah. they said this is like a continuation of that because they said they established like okay so maybe not a continuation but Capital Pictures mm-hmm. is something that's in that film And that this is like a decade after it. Okay. Continuing on. Well, considering
1: that people essentially all died in Barton Fink. Yes,
0: I don't even know what Barton Fink is. I just read an article. I don't remember which one it was. I mean, I can see that. It was like Capital Pictures came from that. And then it's a decade later after that movie. I
1: mean, I wouldn't say it's a sequel, but you know, obviously, but it's kind of like when you're watching a Quentin Tarantino movie. And he's got the candy apple cigarettes in there or, you know, a lot of these things resurface. So, okay. yeah, maybe the Coens are creating a cohesive universe. But I would but not, I would say this is not definitely not a sequel to okay. Barton Fink at yeah. all.
0: OK, so we were following Josh uh, Berlin's character through this and he's mm-hmm. the studio exec and he's helping all these pictures go together. And George Clooney plays uh, one of the title Baird characters. Baird Whitlock. Yeah, Baird Whitlock. He's the lead in *Hail Caesar*, which mm-hmm. has totally not been her. <laughs> and uh, he's the big, biggest movie star in America right now. Mm-hmm. And he gets kidnapped. Oh no! Oh no! And who kidnaps him, Stephen? The uh, the communists. Oh no! The communists are back.
1: <laughs> and which is really funny because the communists, as they're revealed, are really the socialists uh, led by essentially the Hollywood Ten. And yeah. if <laughs> you if you've watched *Trumbo* and you've talked about and we you've listened to us talk about. The, uh, the Hollywood blacklist, it's real easy to point out, well, there's Trumbo, there's, you know, his sidekick. And there's, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can, if you, and I think what happened was we watched Trumbo and like the very next week I saw this movie. So I was like, oh, there's that character, that character, oh, that yeah. character, that character. That's funny. And of course they're kind of played off as uh, kind of blind followers to this cause. Mm-hmm. And they, to the point where they even convince uh, Baird that their cause is a right one. And that everybody should be getting paid the same amount and Mm -hmm. socialism and rah, 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 to where George Clooney's character is like, Yeah, I really am into this. This is really cool. You're right, guys. We should do this. (laughs) Uh, Only to realize later on that it really is a communist plot to try and overthrow Hollywood, Mm -hmm. led by Channing Tatum, who's introduced uh, early on. And then um, uh, it seems to be a money caper. You know, the Barrett is kidnapped for all this money, which supposedly was going to be distributed by the Hollywood 10 in this picture. Uh, and the characters are not called the Hollywood 10 they're not they don't go by Trumbo they go by a bunch of no. different names and most of them are unnamed in in the movie so yeah. don't think that this is the Cohen brothers making commentary on their views on Trumbo or anybody like that Yeah no not at all but the the writers are all a bunch of bumbling guys and they give this what is it, $10 million or something? $100,000. $100,000 yeah. off to uh, Channing Tatum, who then gets on aboard a Russian submarine to go back to the to the motherland, <laughs> Yeah, uh, and he loses all the money in the process. Yeah,
0: which was really funny, and I wanted to talk about because the, all these guys are rowing Channing Tatum mm-hmm. like he's George Washington right. through the water, and this Russian sub just comes right off all the coast of California. Mm-hmm. Uh, Channing does his great, graceful uh, leap onto the sub, and he's about ready to go off and be the communist that he is, uh, back in the in the motherland, and they throw him this briefcase, and then his dog comes and he catches his dog, and the briefcase falls in the water. Everyone just looks at it and goes, Meh. Uh-huh. "Yeah, yeah right. like a, see you later." Okay, well, I was like, "What in the come, heck is go. that even me Are they trying to say here?" Because it's like that is like the plot of the movie, and then there's like, "I ah, forget the money."
1: Well, I mean, that's I mean, why should you be concerned about money, right? I mean, it's it's the loss is not a big deal to the communists mm-hmm. because you didn't have anything before. And you have nothing now. Yes, that's true. And uh, you still have nothing now. So it, <laughs> it kind of works out in that way. And for the writers, I mean, they're giving the money to the Russians. So that's true.
0: They didn't, get, they didn't really lose. You anything. know, they're,
1: I mean, I think there's some I think it's implied that they kind of wanted a cut, but they were OK to give it all to the big cause back mm-hmm. home. And so, yeah, that's kind of wrapped up. But but in the process, Josh Brolin, and we're really talking about the third act here, but I mean, (laughs) Josh Brolin's character shows up, rescues Baird Whitlock, gets him out of there just as the police are showing up to raid the place. And so everybody who was there except for Baird, who is their big Hollywood star, is is safe from scandal, which Mm -hmm. is kind of what Josh Brolin's character is doing, which I was surprised, really honestly, I was surprised that he is the the head of the studio or the local head of the studio. I mean, he's just basically running it for the New York corporations as opposed to him being the studio's fixer. Uh, in the studio fixer, it was, it was this kind of like guy who kind of knew everything and did everything and was okay with, Fixing up a murder scene or getting a star or starlet out of a tough situation Mm -hmm. and and really kind of smoothing over any problems. And so I was really surprised that he wasn't a fixer in this movie, but rather somebody who's rather important in this studio, which also does kind of play into the fact that he is so important at the studio that a lot of people want him. Mm -hmm. He understands that the movie system is not making as much money as it was before. Um, he is working for other people. He's not the boss. He's not always calling the shots on everything. He's covering up other people's scandal. And he is being courted by
0: Lockheed Martin, Lockheed
1: Martin to come and work for them and make 10 times what he's right. making at the studio. So in his Catholic guilt, because it does come off that he's Catholic because he goes and sees them, oh, yeah. goes to confession like every single day. <laughs> um, you know, he he wanders and ponders, you know, what should I do? Should I stay with this studio that Needs me in that I, uh, you know, I make work, or do I go to this other place and hope to make you know a bunch of money mm-hmm. from it? And my wife and family and everybody can do so much more. So I, I found his his struggle interesting, but I think in the end he realizes you know that all this craziness that goes on with me having to go and find money men and and hook starlets up <laughs> yeah. and and make sure that this pregnancy can't scandal goes away or whatever that's more enjoyable than running an uh, uh, an air company.
0: Yeah, and I also thought one of the subtexts that definitely... I don't even have a subtext that the Lockheed Martin guy really continually puts down Mm -hmm. what he does and then the whole Hollywood system in general Mm -hmm. has this frivolous, barely a money-making thing and they're all just playing pretend all this time. Right, And I like to think that uh our main character realizes kind of the importance of film and what they kind of plays mm-hmm. in as the society is as, mm-hmm. while they are creating something and lockheed martin is just showing off how they can make an a, a giant h-bomb and blow up right. islands and right. stuff right, right right and so i think he sees past this uh you know this arms dealer trying to be like oh you guys do nothing we do real things Come can be With us and make a bunch of money Mm -hmm. and make a difference when he sees eventually in the end that they do make a a kind of a difference in society.
1: And this, I don't know, I don't think it has an exact year in here, but we know it takes place in the 50s. So it happens right after or right around the same time that vertical integration, the United States versus Paramount, um took place mm-hmm. in order to bust up the monopoly. So mm-hmm. studios are kind of in a tough spot at this time, right? Where they no longer can force distribution into specific theaters and guarantee distribution. Uh, they don't own everything from top to bottom. You know, the the whole distribution and theater ownership was was spun off and, and forced out of their hands. And so, you know, from Rowland's character's perspective, yeah, the question of what's going to happen with the studio is is there, mm-hmm. right? I mean, television is starting to become more popular mm-hmm. and, um, people may not be going to the pictures and you, uh, as much as, as they used to. And then you have the, the uh, cowboy character, the singing cowboy guy, um, uh, Hobie, Hobie Doyle. Yeah. Hobie Doyle. You really start to see what's going on with these really cheap B movie type things. And is that even a, a, venue that they want to continue doing? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's very, it's very fascinating. To look in a humorous tongue in cheek way at that period in time in the studio system. And I really got a kick out of it.
0: You know, we kind of mentioned at the beginning when we talked about the different Mm -hmm. aspects of that kind of decade in film history they touch on. um, And a lot of it is kind of vignetted in a way where Mm -hmm. no one really gets a lot of screen time besides Josh Brolin. And which I was surprised with because when this movie was marketed, it's like Josh Brolin, right. Scarlett Johansson, Channing Tatum, mm-hmm. uh, Seth Rogen's friend, yeah. and, <laughs> and uh, Voldemort. They're right, all in this right, thing, right? Right,
1: right, I forgot Voldemort was in here. Yeah,
0: he's uh, Lawrence. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right, yeah. Yeah, they have a, and, and all of these Ralph little Fein, bits yeah. are good, and I really enjoyed them. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're definitely not like main players throughout the story Mm -hmm. and kind of from my point of view it seemed to break up the pace of the film maybe a little too much for my taste Mm -hmm. where we do kind of watch a movie on a movie screen while we're watching a movie Mm -hmm. uh for a while like we watch dailies of hail caesar right and in the new film that hobie doyle's in Mm -hmm. And we like we just are like watching dailies, yeah, yeah. <laughs> for a yeah. little bit, which is interesting. But did you feel like it kind of broke up the pace a little too much? I think it. I think it does because if you're just trying to follow the story
1: of Eddie Mannix, and then you have to spend you know 10 minutes of Hobie Doyle and his and his date that they fixed him up with at <laughs> yeah. his premiere of the singing cowboy or whatever it is, and you mm-hmm. have to watch that whole first opening uh, musical number of that in the piece, I think it does. But at the same time, as I was watching, I was like, you know what? This doesn't really drive the Eddie Mannix story, the, the Josh Berlin character story forward. But it does show that the Coens are mixing all these genres together, all mm-hmm. these different styles together. And, you know, because they're bu- blending in k- kind of a noir tale with Mannix mm-hmm. character. They're bu- building in some some uh, stage comedy bits with the with the communists and everything mm-hmm. that's going on there, because it's basically people sitting around. And so you're getting silent slapstick. Yeah. Uh, kind of or silent comedy bits there. You've got musical dance in two different kind. You not only have Channing okay. Tatum dancing, but you also have Scarlett Johansson doing her uh, mermaid. A yeah, uh, little bits. water picture. You've got the cowboy picture, B B picture. I mean, you're so you're taking all these different genres and the Coens are saying, look, we can do this kind of a movie. We can mm-hmm. do this kind of a movie and we can do it uh, technically and aesthetically correct as opposed to trying to force a musical number into a noir film and still keeping the musical number all noir. They're basically saying, hey, look, here's, here's what the musicals were like. Here's what the highbrow dramas were mm-hmm. like. Here's what all these things were like. And I think from that perspective, I kept watching going, oh, are they going to flub up on something or are they going to nail each of these different genres, different kinds of films uh, from those periods? And I think that's what they did wonderfully. And I think that's what ultimately holds the movie together is your interest in, oh, what are they going to explore next or yeah. what are they going to make a commentary on next? Because the uh, the dancing uh, sailor number is full of sexual innuendo oh, yeah, to the point where it's, just, <laughs> it's riotous in the fact that they're playing it straight, yet it is, you know, super... Super sexual innuendo oh, left yeah. and right, uh so it's it's great how they did that. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and if you've never seen a lot of those films, mm-hmm. watching this gives you probably like the best bits of all that genre. Because right. even the like the B cowboy movie, you mm-hmm. get to see Doyle just whipping it around yeah, on a horse, swinging and his it through gun a around, tree, yeah. yeah, and you see him. Uh, it's not actually in the film, but doing his lasso tricks mm-hmm. while he's waiting for his date. Mm-hmm. Um, the Channing Tatum dance sequence is phenomenal. Oh, it's really it great. It is so yeah. good. And there is the great thing about that where, especially that scene, where it looks like you're looking at through the camera lens, like mm-hmm. the film would be, but then they will pull out and you kind of yeah, see yeah. like see stage hands putting stage and the mm-hmm. sets moving around. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was probably one of the most impressive impressive sequences in this film for me, especially when they're tap dancing on the tables and the guys pulling all Mm -hmm. this stuff. Oh yeah. It It was 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 executed
1: tremendously. Well, I I thought it was really, really nice. And at the same time, I think that is where, as you said, the movie fails in that it does break up the story. Mm -hmm. And for people who are not interested in vintage Hollywood, Mm -hmm. that becomes boring very quickly, you know, and Mm -hmm. especially, and the big complaints that I saw when this movie first came out is hey, I thought Channing Tatum was supposed to be this big to-do, and Ralph Fiennes was supposed to be this big thing, and it's like they're in, you know, um, who did you say? Uh, His friend, the
0: uh, uh, the uh, accountant guy. I don't know why I can't ever think of his name. It's uh, Jonah Hill. Yeah, Jonah Hill. (laughs) Uh, So
1: Jonah Hill, who plays Joe Silverman, who's kind of like an attorney, accountant. He's
0: uh, a people person. Yeah, he's a people person. (laughs) That's what they describe him
1: Um, as. You know, he's in like two bits, and those bits are less than five minutes Mm -hmm. uh, each in the movie. Mm -hmm. But you know, when you watch the trailer, it feels like, oh, Jonah Hill's going to play a big part in this, and he really doesn't. No, no, no. Which is okay too, because that's another thing that I think we see a lot in Coen Brothers movies, where you're like, oh, there's that guy, and there's that big star, and there's these people, and you know, it's come to the point I think with the Coens that if they ask you to be in in their movie, you jump at the chance to be in the movie, even if it is something. as simple as Jonah Hill just stamping out some uh some receipts and filling a briefcase full of money and then end up marrying Scarlett Johansson's character in the end. Mm-hmm. So I I think it's fine. I think it's fine to stock it full of of well-known names and then I don't want to say cast them aside, but then they are in really minor roles because I think that makes it a little bit more exciting.
0: And it does kind of play at that Hollywood thing where you just have these big name characters doing these movies mm-hmm. and so it, it, if they really are going to play that up to a point that even we can establish what that era is like is like right. we do have to put the biggest names mm-hmm. in hollywood in these little bit roles yeah because in the films they're starring in they are you know the, the cat's meow mm-hmm. uh, as we take it old school there <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. uh Uh, But yeah, it is, I mean, because Ralph Fiennes in his scene when he's making that movie is hilarious. Where I think
1: he's supposed to be, what, Priminger or somebody like that? He's just really dictatorial German- uh, director that gets to the point where when Hobie can't, because Hobie has a very Western drawl because mm-hmm. he plays cowboy stuff and he's been cast in this very highbrow drama and so he can't talk highbrow and finds us trying to to teach him to the point where he starts slapping him every time he you know, slapping him hard across the face every time he messes up. And it's it's like, first it's, first it's shocking and then it's kind of funny and then it gets really uncomfortable and then gets really uncomfortable and then you feel sorry for Hobie's character, so you go through all these emotions each time he's getting smacked around. It's, and, it's great.
0: And he's trying to get him to do this pronunciation right, and it is like a four minute scene of them just right, trying right. to do this pronunciation, and I'm watching it and Aubrey's off another room, and they're just seeing this one line mm-hmm. over and over. Aubrey's like, what is going on? And I'm just dying laughing, because this is such a funny scene.
1: Yeah, I I think it was I, there are just a bunch of little gems in here, hidden away, uh, that, that make this funny. And uh, Unfortunately, though, I don't think this is a move here, everybody.
0: No, it definitely lacks, um, I would say, universal appeal. But I would say even kind of like an American appeal mm-hmm. where um, if this may- movie could have been made with the foresight like 20 years ago, yeah. it probably would have been a hit. But we've moved. I don't even know if it would be tw- I guess 20 years, years ago. ago. I was Just, thinking I mean, that, like the 80s. Cause if, cause if, 90s. People are,
1: if people are comparing it to Bart- Barton Fink. Mm-hmm you walk away from Barton Fink and you're like, what the F is going on? This is the weirdest movie I've ever seen. This is kind of that. Okay. Um, You know, but both I think Barton Fink and uh, blood on the highway, whatever that movie was that they did, the blood simple um, are kind of straight up serious pieces. And I like it when they, when they go around into funny bits. I know a lot of people went into uh, hail Caesar, hoping that this was going to be another, um, uh, the dude movie, um, big Lebowski, big Lebowski. Mm-hmm. and it wasn't, I mean, it's clearly not that. Um, and so I think it, you really have to get in the mindset of this is not what I think it is, but I'm going to sit and I'm going to enjoy it regardless. But if people are going in going, Oh, this is the next Lebowski or this is another, you know, hit Coen brothers movie. This definitely is not, Oh brother, where art thou? in it's in its execution at all. No. Um, But it is I think it's a very fine tale and I think it's well crafted and I think all the set pieces that they put in there they have mimicked the style and the genre and the look perfectly because Mm -hmm. when they're doing the the um, singing cowboy opening montage stuff I mean that is straight out of a 1950s movie I mean they've done that perfectly. Uh, So it's nice to see that stuff that they get the lighting down that they get the camera angles down that they get the type of lens the focal length that they would have used in those pieces (laughs) down right. And so it it, it would be interesting to just read a very long interview or, or see an interview with the with the Coen's to see their methodology behind the madness of this movie in that well we decided that we wanted to do it this way and that we decided to use these kinds of techniques to tell our story and I think it worked really well.
0: Um. Just sticking with the production side for I there is a an interview with a cinematographer, an American cinematographer, mm-hmm. um Roger Deakins, and he talked about trying to get that right look in a lot of the bits. He talked and a lot of it was about all the lighting and stuff. But I found it interesting that he they used a more modern film camera. Mm-hmm. It was an it was an Ari film camera. Right. Uh with his ice primes. And he said they, they could have shot it at you know, like an F1.8 or I guess T1.8. Yeah. Um, but they knew that in that era just because of the lens quality that they needed to shoot at around f- uh, five, five yeah. to get the right and get know, a long, little sharpness. Long
1: depth of field Yeah, yeah in and there. so
0: that's mm-hmm. what they stuck around. He's like, we could have you know, with, with with stuff we were, you I know, just we could have the 1-8, but we, they
1: pretty much shot four, I think he said four, five, and five. Yeah, because, you know, if in the even in the kitchen scene where Eddie goes home, and he goes home just to eat dinner, say goodnight to his kids, and then he's right back to work. I mean, mm-hmm. he barely has any time with his family. And yet, while he's sitting at dinner having a conversation with his wife, his wife is in the background and you really see the crazy architecture too of that time period. But his wife is putting (laughs) away dishes and cleaning up and stuff. And because of that long focal length, you get to see what's going on behind them. Mm -hmm. Likewise, when we're with, um, um, the, uh, the main character, um, George Clooney's character. Oh, yeah. And he's waking up and he's having the conversations with the communist writers. Mm-hmm. You can only get the comedy by using a deep focal length because yeah. you need to see all of their blank expressions as Clooney doesn't understand what <laughs> they're talking <laughs> yeah. about when you have to share things. And then just like, what do you mean you don't understand how we share things kind of mm-hmm. stuff? It's, it's classic. I mean, I was really surprised to even see uh, Fisher Stevens as one of the communist writers in the piece. And he's not even the, the Trumbo uh, character yeah. in the piece. It's just great just to, to kind of look and see, oh, there's that character or that character and that character. And you know, what's interesting. Um, I've been watching a lot of the, um, uh, Thin Man movies. In fact, I've watched all the Thin Man movies that are available. They kind Wait, of, a, the th- thin man movies? they're a series of comedy mysteries, oh, Okay. Uh, s- uh, takes place in the 1930s. So it's black and white, but I'm uh, not 1930s, maybe 1940s or 30s through the 40s. Uh, But it's interesting because you start to see a lot of recognizable characters in the the roles. And this was an early role for them. Like Jimmy Stewart plays Mm. a bad guy in (laughs) one of the movies. And it's like, oh, my God, that Jimmy Stewart. (laughs) And he's got to be an unknown at this time. And so I think that kind of doing that with the cast here also throws that in because you're like surprised going, Oh there's Jonah Hill or oh there's Tilda Swinton or there's uh, oh, yeah, you know Tilda there's Swinton. she was great. She plays yeah, two two amazing. different characters in there. Uh or even when you see um Francis McDormand playing the the editor mm-hmm. of a movie. It's all great stuff. Uh so I think it's I think part of it is oh there's that person kind of also helps in, in the mm-hmm. enjoyment of the movie.
0: Uh you know you mentioned the editing sequence when we're watching this, we're watching the dailies of this uh Lorenz picture uh, with Cowboy Guy, and they're watching the dailies, and all of a sudden the the screen kind of starts you mm-hmm. know bubbling up like something wrong the film, you look over there. And you know, because it it was playing out, as you mentioned, Brolin's story is kind mm-hmm. of, uh, film noir-ish in the right, way right. It, it's presented. I'm like, is she dead? Did yeah, someone yeah. kill her in the editing room? And of course, no. She they they set scarf. it up earlier, but her scarf was like ran right through the film. Yeah, through
1: the movieola, and yeah, and then she's like, ah, yeah, ah, reverse, reverse. And it's just it's really great. I mean, even the little bit parts. Even Jonah Hill, you know, and we've mentioned his name multiple times. Even though he is in such a small part, I really liked his mm-hmm. character, and I really like what he brought to that character. So,
0: and um, you know, and speaking of the historical accuracy. There uh, in the editing sequence, there's a woman editor, mm-hmm. and one of the things I always remember from your editing class was back in that time period, mm-hmm. it was mostly women right. who were editing mm-hmm. all of the big pictures, which mm-hmm. you know surprised me because based off of well, because, you just you only see like men behind directors yeah. and cinematographers and stuff to see that their women were so prevalent in the editing rooms. Well,
1: in the early days, it was considered. Equivalent to sewing that editing was like sewing and so sewing was and again, not my words, their words is women's work. So that's why you would employ women as editors. But, you know, there were a lot of men editors too. one of the biggest. um, I forget which studio it was at, but the head of the editing department uh, was female Mm -hmm. and she ran the entire entire department of editors and so if there was a problem she would come down and 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 yell at people and she's very well respected for a long time i'm sorry i can't remember her name but uh yeah women as editors for a long time have been a big deal and if you look at spielberg if you look at uh, uh tarantino they've mm-hmm. always had female editors as as their editors just mm-hmm. because they they believe that there's a much different approach than what you would typically expect so yeah it's
0: it's interesting and uh um so here's my question. You lived out in California for a while. You've yeah. kind of been in that area. Yeah. The, the How expansive the studio set or lot was mm-hmm. was very surprising to me. I, now yeah. I was, I've i been around Universal, the theme park, and you can kind of mm-hmm. see some back lots there. And I don't remember there being that many sets. Yeah. Is, is it There's still that lot. expansive? I would, I would
1: say yes. Oh, I would really? say it is because you know once you build it, you can do whatever you need to with it. And mm. in some cases you have sets that are there that are in use for 2 or 3 years just for a single movie or in the case of um, of what Lucille Ball did and and many people don't realize that Desi Lu Studios, her and Desi Arnaz, they owned the studio outright. They owned all the sound stages and then after Lucy basically retired from doing her shows, she was making millions of dollars because she was renting out her studio, oh. the, the actual studios to different people for movies or television shows. You know, a lot of uh, television shows still shoot on a uh, studio lot. Mm-hmm. And so they still use all that space. So, yeah, in fact, um, I was just reading was it Universal. Somebody would just announced a massive expansion of their studio lot oh, really? Uh, over the next, I think, 10 years. Um, I'd have to go back and, and look. um, it's online somewhere, but they had just recently announced a massive expansion. I think it's over the next ten years to add in fifteen more um, studio spaces.
0: Wow! Yeah, is it just because it's so much cheaper to film on a lot? Is that why? With the main draw, well, I mean, you there? don't
1: have to you don't have to go out and haul things around. I mean, all of your equipment is right there. You don't mm-hmm. have to go out onto location. And if you're doing a studio show like The Tonight Show or, or um, oh, that's uh, Jimmy Kimmel or something like that. You build the set; it's there for as long as you need it to, and so people can go to there. It's very centralized in that in that aspect. Um, so, yeah, I think there's a big benefit to having the lots available mm-hmm. for you. And again, if you can own it, then you don't have to rent it from someone else. Now, granted, they're going to be paying off, you know, yeah. the, the stuff for a long time, but you know, the system it charges itself to where it will pay itself mm-hmm. off, and then after that, it's just money that the studio makes. It's a right. it's another another incentive. And, and really if you talk to Jason Inman or uh, Ashley, Victoria Robinson studio space is at a premium I mean, it's really hard to find good, cheap studio space. And even in, in the case of another uh, piece, the ax in our star Trek movie, I mean, they had to go in and renovate uh, a, um, a space for their fan film. Mm. And so they had to spend something like $500,000 just to renovate a space oh and build a new floor and all this stuff. So yeah, shooting on lo- location is not great um and there's a lot of things that can go wrong but if you can keep a uh, a studio quiet i mean you can just do whatever you want you can craft whatever you want you can control the light you can control the the sound you can control the temperature so mm-hmm. yeah there's a big advantage to being inside of a
0: studio mm. um in the realm of cohen brother movies is this something you would expect from them kind of at this point in their career or? no actually yeah well, i was really
1: surprised i mean this is what I would have expected earlier in their career where they're really experimenting and trying different things mm-hmm. um, from the story perspective and from what they were trying to do. Um, this is this is really something I would have expected years ago, even before Raising Arizona. Uh, I would have expected it right around there or right even before Big Lebowski or something or right around the same time as Big Lebowski. Mm-hmm. But then uh, because really, oh, brother, where art thou? And what was their last movie that they they did before this. Was the it?
0: last uh, ones they directed were Inside Lewin Davis, which I haven't seen. Oh, right, yet. That's I have not what's, seen uh, that one yeah, 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 and then True Grit. They yeah, True Grit. Grit. Yeah, yeah, True Grit. Yeah,
1: yeah. So maybe that's uh a Serious Man. Burn after reading. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I think the thing is that they have done some very good things that have allowed them to say, you know what, we want to do something different and experimental again. Mm-hmm. And so. Because of their past success, this has allowed them to do this. But this movie also couldn't have been done at the same time that they were doing Hudsucker, Pro- Proxy, or Fargo because I don't think they they may not have been equipped enough to really nail the different genres that they were trying to emulate in mm-hmm. the movie. And I think they needed some extra time to develop skills and whatnot.
0: Yeah. Doing a, f- a film like this, when we run through all of the different styles mm-hmm. they were able to the, the show seems like a movie you would want to do in the beginning of your career for it to be successful because then well, you're like then you show people like look at all that I can do in Yeah one but film. see the
1: thing is if this had been done early in their career it would have been a failure and it probably would have prevented them from doing other movies well, like Hudsucker Proxy yeah. which in itself Hudsucker Proxy when you think about it is just kind of like this weird okay kind of you know schlubby guy does good kind of stuff and uh, it has something bigger at the end of it, but it's, again, as you look at the evolution of the movies of the Coen brothers, they get better and better and better with each one as they tackle different genres, as they tackle different themes and topics, because um, Hudsucker Proxy, while it may be a comedy, is not the kind of same comedy that you see in O Brother where out, Art There art thou or in The Lady Killers or in any of that stuff. And then you see them get to do westerns and serious stuff with True Grit and, and No mm-hmm. Country with Fur Old Men and, and, and these others. So it really, I think that it, this is a movie they could have only done now. But it is, it's not one of their, I don't think it's one of their best films.
0: Do you think it would be considered a sec- success because it did only have a $22 million budget, mm-hmm. but it made $30 million domestic and sixty three worldwide. Oh, yeah. Do you, do you, I mean, do you think, that, you think I mean, that would be enough to cover marketing and all that good they stuff? They didn't do a
1: whole lot of marketing with this movie. No, oh, they didn't? No. I mean, it seemed to be like two trailers Pretty and scarce. that was it. And I don't remember seeing a whole lot of, of marketing online mm-hmm. and uh, in other places. I really didn't see it. So I think the studios knew that this was a small project. That it was a low budget project, that it probably wasn't going to have the turnaround that they they expected, mm-hmm. and so I think it was promoted exactly that way. And because it didn't have a wide release, I mean, we thought we were going to have it here, and then yeah. they yanked it at the last second because they're like, "Ah, eh, we don't think very many people are going to be interested in the movie." And then mm-hmm. they, and then what? They tried to bring it out it the next came, week think, or something. I
0: think it came for like four days. Yeah, yeah. Just...
1: And then they because first they said no because there's not enough interest, and mm-hmm. then right before right around the time that they were doing the premiere of it, everybody got super excited about the movie again mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden it rushed into the theater for, like you said, a couple of days here and then it bounced back out again. Yeah, it quickly so, left. Yeah. It, it's a small indie movie and I don't expect that to be a big, big draw here in the middle of nowhere.
0: We talk about all of the kind of the weird stuff the Coen brothers have done and they've, you know, they have been, I would say, successful on a couple of different levels, especially, they I mean they get nominated for mm-hmm. a lot of Oscars. Yeah. Inside Lewin Davis got nominated a yeah. lot. Um, do you think the Coen brothers ha- have a name in the general public enough to draw a lot of interest to a film or do you think th- that their name isn't enough pull factor for a lot of people to-, to just go see it off that?
1: I don't think that they're, I don't think their name factor is big enough. I mean, I think if you weren't to the average person and said, Hey, do you know the Coen brothers in their movies? Mm-hmm. I think because of Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? A lot of people would recognize their names. But if you told them, hey, they've also directed these movies, these movies, these movies, people would go, I've never heard of that movie mm-hmm. or I didn't like that movie or, oh, yeah, that was a fun movie back then. I didn't know they were still making movie kind of stuff. So they've done a lot of small stuff that has had success. And I think, I don't know, my personal view is that I think that they're happy doing small films and that they don't really need to tackle something like True Grit mm. a lot because they can tell a great story in Raising Arizona that gets a lot of attention and a lot of people excited, but it again, doesn't cost that much and, and wasn't super hard to produce.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, are, are you in general,
1: just a fan of the Coen brothers? At all? I do like them. I mean, I don't know if when I was looking at their entire um, list of, of movies, I, I can't say that I have seen all of their movies, but I would say I've seen most of them. If I were to go into um, Joel Cohen's uh, directing, if we look at uh, him as a director, Uh, I've seen Blood Simple, Raising Arizona. I've seen Bits of Miller's Crossing. I've seen Barton Fink, The Hudsucker Proxy, Fargo, Big Lebowski, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? I went and saw The Man Who Wasn't There, which is an interesting uh, noir movie. Mm -hmm. I saw it like on Christmas Day in 2001, and there was nobody in the theater. Oh, really? I mean, nobody. I mean, there were like five people in the theater, and the Mm -hmm. film broke twice. Oh, Um, I've not seen Intolerable Cruelty. I have seen The Lady Killers. Uh, I've not seen uh, No Country for Old Men, uh, Burn After Reading I've seen, A Serious Man, I don't think I've seen, True Grit, yes, Inside uh, Llewyn Davis I have not seen, In Hail Caesar. So I would say I've seen about 80% of their stuff. Okay. And I enjoy it. I mean, I like what they do.
0: Yeah, I think I've only really seen, this is probably only my third film that I've actually seen. For some reason, I haven't seen Fargo. Really? Uh, yeah, I haven't seen... <laughs> Most of their mid-2000s stuff, I've seen True Grit, but anything between there and A no Brother Where though, I haven't seen either.
1: I think maybe we should watch Fargo. Oh, yeah? Because it's really good. Now, you haven't seen the TV series, right? No. Okay. No. I think we should watch Fargo for next week. All right. Because, That'd be fine with me. <laughs> because, um, and I bet Matthew and Rodrigo would jump on board for that, too, because Fargo is a super interesting movie. Which of course has spun off into a TV series, sure. which really expands upon this story that they've told here, uh-huh. which in itself is based on true events. Uh, okay, uh, so yeah, I think I think Fargo would be something that you'd really get a kick out
0: of. Yeah, I'd be fine with that. It's always nice when I just mentioned a movie, like, yeah, we should totally do I, that. I really thought you had seen Fargo. No, And yeah, there's really nothing coming out this this holiday weekend, anyways. Well, and interesting. that's interesting too. Because Besides the Purge election year, because that I find interesting <laughs> and want to see. It does. It does <laughs> seem
1: rather interesting. It's it's fascinating because. I was on uh, the morning stream earlier this week with Scott Johnson, and Mm -hmm. he was saying, you know, the failure of Independence Day and some of these other movies, he thinks that people audiences are getting tired of uh, that we're going through sequel fatigue. Mm. And I don't think he's wrong, but unfortunately, the studios look and say, hey, here's a known property that makes money whatever it may be. And so, yes, we'll continue to make sequels of them, even though maybe audiences don't want them because that's what the studio thinks is in their mind. Mm-hmm. This is the st- type of stuff that'll make us lots of money. Unfortunately, I think Independence Day kind of proves that. So it'll be interesting to see what happens this week with the BFG, if that, that again, that's not a sequel, but Legend of Tarzan. I mean, we've seen a million oh, Tarzan so many movies. Tarzans. Purge, Election Year should be uh, rather interesting, and I don't know what its budget was. I bet it says $10 million.
0: For the production budget, close. so
1: um, if it can make more than, I mean, it's going to be in 2,700 theaters. I think people are interested in
0: in some just, horror types. It's stuff. kind of that horror uh, franchise that's mm-hmm. big right now that I'm, they kind of. Oh, I'm out. sure, I'm sure it'll do
1: very well yeah, this weekend. But recall, it's surprising yeah. that when when you're looking at a July 4th weekend, that those are your three movies. Yeah, I know, and I and it's really surprising because either Independence Day really was wanting to capitalize on the fact that they had even more days to right. make m- money. Because if I remember correctly, the first Independence Day did come out over the July 4th weekend and I remember standing in line in Atlanta, super hot, mm-hmm. waiting to get into that theater. <laughs> and I'm, I'm just really surprised I didn't try to repeat that on this July 4th weekend. But the BFG, that's Steven Spielberg, animation, kids. We saw with Finding Dory that kids and family movies seem mm-hmm. to be doing okay. So who yeah. knows? This, I, this one could be good. And especially- has no interest in, for me though.
0: But. No, you, you would think uh, a really big movie would want to come out this week, because since 4th of July falls on a Monday, it's mm-hmm. a three-day weekend for most mm-hmm. people. Uh, yeah, or so even more. Like pretty so yeah. people. Yeah, so it's like a kind of an opportune time to release a big and movie. And the other
1: thing is it's so hot yeah. that, you know, the only place to go is someplace that's air-conditioned. And so you don't want to be outside having a picnic or doing something like that. And so, yeah, let's go to the movies where it's, if we're going to go out of the house and do something, let's go to the movies where it's air-conditioned and sit down and watch something good. Yeah. So... If I had to make a prediction, I think BFG and um, and Finding Dory will have huge success in the theaters again this weekend, simply because they're a family movie, and that's mm-hmm. something you can take the entire family to.
0: Yeah, especially when and I don't know a lot of people. We are officially out of our drought, with there's still like some firework restrictions, and a lot of people that mm-hmm. live, mm-hmm. you know, in certain regions don't get to fire fireworks at all. So right. you might as well take kids yeah, to the yeah. theater so they can have some enjoyment over yeah. that big weekend. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, Fargo sounds like a, a great choice instead it, of the rest of It really is. It is
1: a fantastic movie. You really yeah. should. If you've never seen it before, you really need to see it.
0: The only thing I know about it is what it's North Dakota or yeah. South Dakota, and there's a wood chipper involved. Right.
1: Okay, so watch <laughs> it, man. It's, it's fascinating. It's really fascinating.
0: All right, yeah. That's uh, a good uh, idea for next week. So what do you, th- you think, uh, final thoughts on Hail Caesar? I enjoyed it tremendously. Yeah.
1: I really wish I would have had time to watch it again before our conversation. Uh, I do want to watch it again and yeah. probably watch it again. And I bet I could get my wife to watch it again only because it has Channing Tatum in it. Mm-hmm. Have you watched uh, Hateful Eight?
0: Not yet.
1: She went to see that with me. And Channing Tatum is in it for a very brief amount of time. <laughs> and then for the rest of the night, she was so upset because of of what happened to Channing Tatum in oh, Hateful Eight. No. So no. Um, yeah. She's like, oh, no, Channing Tatum.
0: <laughs> Channing, and I was watching that scene with Channing Tatum. And, it's like, he is kind of this grace kelly i think he gets not grace kelly or That's not a, grace kelly uh who fred, is astaire. Yeah, fred astaire <laughs> why do i keep saying grace kelly um yeah fred astaire but he gets kind of like looked down on because he did kind of come up as this good-looking guy that can dance and he was in the the what is that step up movies oh but yeah. I, I feel like he doesn't get some of the respect that he kind I of think, deserves as an actor yeah, he is pretty he's good real,
1: i think he's actually super underrated yeah and so it's funny to see, you know, that he's getting a success and really getting noticed and people are, and that he's willing to laugh at himself too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and have you seen, what is it, the the end or whatever the movie is, the end of the oh, world yeah. thing <laughs> yeah. that has him in there? Uh-huh. Um, it's really good. I mean, he's really good. I like him a lot. I loved him in Magic Mike. I thought that was great. Yeah,
0: Magic Mike is good.
1: And uh, yeah, he really just does a bunch of different things. Oh, he
0: was in that, uh... oh crap. What was the movie where everything was yellow and his wife was on like weird pills and stuff. It was a uh, uh, Soderbergh movie. Oh, I don't know. was in a really Soderbergh good. film, and it was, oh, uh, God, what is well, it? Well, and I liked him in 21 Jump good. Street.
1: Uh, you know, that was funny there. Um, I don't know. Jupiter Ascending, he was in that. Oh, no, that, that was a god-awful movie. <laughs> that, <He's in laughs> that was in that bad. That piece of crap.
0: I don't know. I don't know which movie you're talking oh, about. Oh, man. He played well, Superman people, in the Lego though. movie. People will, oh, yeah, that's true. People will find, people know what I'm talking about. It's that Soderbergh film with Channing Tatum in it. There you go. Came out in like 2011 or something. Uh, yeah, for, for me, I enjoyed Hail Caesar a lot from what they were attempting to do, the kind of little vignettes. Mm-hmm. It is a weirder movie than you anticipate, I think, from the way it was marketed. right. right. It is not the movie you're really expecting, mm-hmm. and it's definitely weird, but it is a lot of fun and I think it definitely, if you have enjoyed this podcast from the beginning, like this is a film you should watch because you'll see uh, so many different elements of films we've watched over the last two years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so from that aspect, it's it's really well done.
1: You're thinking of Haywire.
0: No, I'm now, not. That's the that's
1: the movie you're thinking of. That's the Steven Soderbergh, Channing what? Tatum movie. Haywire 2011. No. And it's all yellow. Haywire? That's what it says. Haywire 2011, 5.8 out of 10 rating, Steven Soderbergh, Channing Tatum.
0: Hold on. Now I'm gonna find it because that does not even sound close to right. It's what it says. A
1: black ops super soldier seeks payback after she betrayed and set up after she is betrayed and set up during a mission.
0: Man, I am not. I am thinking of something completely out wrong, because I see Haywire too, and
1: there you go. That's what you gave me all the information. No, you're right. Yellow. <laughs> Channing Tatum. And Maybe it's said not Jamie No, wife oh, here is it, it is.
0: Side effects. Oh, okay. Side effects. Is that Steven Soderbergh? I'm going to feel stupid if it's not. Oh, it is Soderbergh. Good. Side effects. What year did that come out? 2000 and, oh, crap. I pressed the wrong button. 2013.
1: Okay, so you were off by two years, but yeah, it's I funny, that, <laughs> they've done that's funny that they've done a, the films together. That's yeah. weird. Okay. Side effects. All right. That's a good weird movie. Okay. Fargo next week.
0: Fargo is the next, next movie we're going to watch next week. I hear that's weird, too. Yeah. In the meantime, while you're killing some time, head over to Majorspoilers.com. Find all of the great comic book news and podcasts. There's so many podcasts. You guys, if you like Zach on the film, you're going to love Major Spoilers podcast. Check out Munchkin Land, Top 5, Critical Hit. Something for everyone. Listen to them, enjoy them, and tell Stephen how much you love them. Uh, while you're over at Majorspoilers.com, not Stephen the podcast, tell everybody. of course. Just yeah. tell everybody. you love their stuff. Oh, yeah. Stuff. We're uh, here at major spoilers.com. Click on that amazon.com link. You can buy so much stuff from Amazon, Steven. I bought a headset for my new Xbox One today. Awesome. I bought an Xbox. and it's Did like you I'm... buy that through Amazon? No, I bought it at Walmart. Man. Yeah, I know. It was a great impulse buy. Uh, so you can buy all of your great video game gear or movie gear right from Amazon. The great thing about using that link at major spoilers is it's not going to cost you any extra, but a little bit of that money won't go to Amazon. It'll come to major spoilers and so you yeah, can keep enjoying podcasts like this one. So next week, another Coen Brothers film, Fargo on Zach on Film.